Hi there, Neil here. Obviously, you love to travel. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Circa, our app available right now from the App Store on iOS, is filled with podcasts and guides for travelers. But more than that, it has a feature that we're calling the Circa Concierge, where you can have any question about any place you're traveling answered by real people on the ground. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And hey, if you've got questions about Barcelona, you might even get me. Because I love to help people discover my city. And if you're the same way for the city where you live, then we want you to become part of the Circa Concierge too. Right now, we're searching for concierges in Barcelona, Rome, London, Paris, Madrid, Venice, and New York City. Don't see your city listed? That's okay. We'll be rolling out new cities throughout the year, and yours might just be next. If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. If you're a vegan who does CrossFit, oh God. which of those things do you tell people first? Oh, nice. <laughs> Nicely done. A destination isn't always a place. Sometimes it's a new way of seeing things. I'm Neil Innes. And I'm Andres Bartos. From Frequency Machine, this is Passport. Your ticket to everywhere. Taiwan is a country of many names, but the most fitting of all might be the oldest, Formosa, the name given to the island by Portuguese explorers in the 1500s. It means beautiful island. The Dutch, Spanish, and Japanese would continue to use the name to refer to this lush green island off the southeast coast of China. Taiwan's democracy is complicated and young. Only in the last 25 years has it begun stepping out of China's shadow. It's a wild and chaotic history, but today on Passport, we're going on a different trip. One filled with flavor as we explore the bustling, food-filled streets of Taipei. Taipei is a foodie's dream, filled with so many flavors and influences and more than 70 night markets. Eating in Taipei is an endless journey of its own especially in one particular area, vegan food. In fact, Taipei was named by PETA as the vegan capital of Asia. I know what you're thinking. Great. Veganism. Again. And to be honest, we get it. But this story is different. 
This story involves a spiritual leader who calls herself Supreme Master, silenced cult members, a president of the United States, an international restaurant chain, and a multi-million dollar Hollywood musical based on vegan poetry. Today, we're sending passport producer, legend, and resident vegan, Harriet Davies, to find out what the hell all of this means. My friend in Vietnam um, told me about this vegan restaurant that is around the corner from where she lives. And it's this woman who is basically leading a vegan movement across the world. And I found out Taiwan was actually one of the top vegan places in the world. And it's like got the highest population of vegetarian and vegan eaters. In the whole world. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then I found out that the Supreme Master... Wait, <laughs> the, su- the Supreme Master? I know. There's no, there's no the either. Oh, no, it's, I add the the. Okay. It's like, that's when you know when you don't even need. You don't need you don't a need, the? You don't need a the. So I found out she started up her cyber sect from there. A cyber sect is an online following, which makes you have the ability, I guess, to connect to way more people. Right. And then it went from there, like discovering why Taiwan is such a vegan and vegetarian hub. Mm-hmm. Did she have anything to do with it or was she just kind of like someone who set up shop there? And also who she is, why she's doing what she's doing, and also what is the definition of a cult? Because it's a, it's a fate, like it's a hazy one, you know? Totally. And it's one that's kind of, is it leveled at vegans ever? I was going to say, I would imagine that Neil would consider veganism to be a cult. No, 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 no. I mean, it's weird. <laughs> It's never going in there. Taipei is surrounded by mountains and forests. It's a condensed city set in the narrow bowl-shaped valley. A city that never sleeps, shadowed by the enormous 46-floor Taipei Sky Tower. It's a shiny modern skyline. From afar, it looks like a thoroughly modern city. But in the hectic streets below, you'll find a crazy mixture of people and cultures combined. A melting pot forged over time by wars between Japan and China, and the influences of Western powers like America during World War II. As we often find on Passport, a history that involves a lot of different influences creates a fascinating place, and nothing reflects that more than food. Most people here eat their meals out. This is by necessity because often Taipei apartments don't have kitchens. As a result, street markets flourish here. If you're wandering down a Taipei market street, you can smell the most marvelous cacophony of food cooking. Modern Taiwanese cuisine is infused with handfuls of basil, garlic and green onion, cilantro, chili pepper, soy, black bean, radish and sesame oil. You can find almost any flavor on any street on any given day. There is a huge seafood culture, fresh oysters, quality meat and poultry, influences from Thailand, China, Japan and Europe. In nearly every dish, there are tastes from a combination of indigenous ideas and modern influence. Taiwanese food is more popular than you think, but not many people can name a dish. Stinky tofu, best served fried. Most Taiwanese believe the smellier the better. Taiwan invented bubble tea, or boba tea, a cold shaken tea drink, loaded with chewy tapioca balls to sweeten. Beef and noodle soup, the modern national dish of Taiwan, a dish that wouldn't exist without America, because beef and wheat were imported during World War II as rationing for the troops. 
Even more flavours were brought over by the Dutch, Spanish, Japanese going back centuries. But today we're going to explore the newest and most revolutionary development in Taiwan's food scene. For about 10 years, it's been the vegan capital of the world. And I wanted to know why. I called up Jesse Duffield, a food journalist living in Taiwan. Chaotic streets with scooters roaring past and it's going to be polluted. And yet there's an incredible amount to offer travellers and residents here. It's actually a great place to live and to be. But the city itself is dirty and ugly. Maybe not the most flattering picture of the city, but Jesse's describing its architectural history. Settled in the 1700s by the Chinese, the city was ceded to the Japanese after the Sino-Japanese War, just short of the 20th century. So when Taiwan became part of Japan, basically, about 100 years ago, then the Japanese government planned the old administrative center of Taipei, so it looks almost like Japan. It's wide, wide streets, old trees, beautiful parks. Dan Park, like Central Park in New York, cuts a green stripe into the high-rises of the city. During World War II, the island had been an important strategic base for the Japanese Navy and a staging ground for operations in the Asian Pacific. So when Japan surrendered, the Chinese-American alliance demanded the return of Taiwan to China. But Chinese rule was not peaceful. And shortly after they took over, China experienced a massive civil war that ended with the nation embracing a new communist government. After World War II and the Chinese Civil War, most Chinese monks who survived it came to Taiwan. So they sort of brought their vegetarian Buddhist culture to Taiwan after World War II. And they needed somewhere to house their soldiers. And so they knocked up thousands and thousands of cheap, ugly concrete apartments, many of which are still there. And also an important historical point for our story... When the Chinese monks and the refugees flooded the island, they also brought with them the concept of fake meats, a Chinese innovation that dates back thousands of years. They traditionally would have been vegan because they were made from taro, soy, wheat gluten. Many people date the invention of fake meat to the Chinese Tang Dynasty all the way back in the 600s. And this heritage of imitation food not just vegan, but one food pretending to be another food, is going to play a big role in the future of the Taiwanese food scene. But before we get there, let me show you around the city a little more. The eating culture around Taipei is a special one. These tiny compact apartments, which Jesse mentioned earlier, are almost all without kitchens, which means eating out a lot. As a result, Taipei developed these amazing night markets. There's about 30 in Taipei alone, spanning across the city. Many of the streets are occupied by traffic during the day and filled with food by night. You're basically in the middle of an overcrowded, neon-lit food heaven. Walking through the market stalls, you can find Mongolian barbecue, fuzhu noodles, Sichuan, Japanese braised beef noodle soup, dishes that, despite their names, were created in Taiwan. In Taipei, the entire city is like a dormitory in terms of its population density. So it would be impractical for everybody to have their own kitchens. So you have communal kitchens and everyone just goes there to eat. Shaved ice carts, a creation from Japan. Pineapple cake developed by a Russian baker from the 1950s. You can try fruits and vegetables, oyster mushrooms, tofu pudding and cognac jelly made from an Asian plant. 
with basically no calories, a snack that resembles flubber on an ice cream stick. The list is endless. I don't know if this is going to turn into a thing in Passport, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to posit a theory, which is the places that have the most influences from different and at times like confusing cultural sources make the best food. Yeah. Like if you combine, what is it, Dutch? Dutch. Chinese? Chinese, Portuguese. Portuguese and Japanese too? Japanese. Yeah, and indigenous from the island. Stinky tofu. Stinky tofu. Stinky tofu. Stinky tofu. Have you had stinky tofu? I have never eaten stinky tofu. Where does the stinky come from? No one's ever been able to precisely describe the smell to me, but you can smell it from very far away. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's a good enough description. Yes, that's that's recognizable. Smell is smelly worse or stinky worse? Stinky. Stinky is good for food for some reason. Mm. (laughs) Are you hungry? (laughs) I think Neil just got hungry. So the food culture in Taipei is certainly unique. The cuisine here is developed along with the spirited rebellion to the Japanese and Chinese rule. And it is certainly influenced heavily by the Buddhist monks that fled communist China. Maybe all of this is how we end up with the food of Taipei that we see today. A city that many consider the vegan capital of the world. Claims plant-based diets are associated with lower risk. Vegan. And we're going to be talking about vegans. They want we need to, to change create. what we put on the table and how we produce. The word vegan actually comes from the UK 70 years ago, invented by a non-dairy society that rejected other names like Dairyban, Vitan, and Benevore, and landed on the word vegan. Buddhism, the leading religion in Taiwan, traditionally holds as one of its core tenets a meat-free diet. Here's Jesse again. The Mahayana, the branch of Buddhism popular in Taiwan, has always promoted a vegetarian diet, but traditionally been heavy on dairy. But they considered themselves sort of a pure vegetarian, in a similar way to Hindus and Sikhs and other religious groups in India. Um, and now Taiwan is really the vegan sort of heart or leading the vegan movement in Asia. So I've seen a phenomenal growth in the decade or so. The vegan revolution, as people view it, in Taiwan is pretty recent, less than 10 years old. So at this point in my vegan detective story, I understand the foundations for the revolution, but I still don't really get why or how it happened. I called Sydney Shu, who started Vegan Frenzy, the first vegan-themed food festival in Taipei, to see if she could help me find out more. About five years ago, I became vegan, and then... That was also, I think that was also the same year I started the first festival in Taiwan. Sydney, in a way, represents the new wave of veganism in Taipei. She was born here, but studied in San Francisco. She returned to Taipei and started a vegan-themed food festival, which has helped popularize the movement. So basically, it's a two to three days event where there's mainly these are food vendors. Vendors are not limited to food. A live festival is a celebration of arts and culture with music and food, a tradition from China, sort of like a music festival, but Sydney's comes with a vegan twist. The festival was like only a, a trigger because maybe there were a lot of young people who also wanted to do the same thing, but they didn't have a reference. Nobody started it, and I felt like I was just the first person to really step up and like do something. 
Creating a big event was natural but important for Sydney, a space to express herself and allow others to do the same. Like in a lot of places, there was kind of a stigma around veganism. In Taipei, mainly among the younger generation. You, you want people to know that this is a thing that everyone can do. It's not a, a special cult or something that's weird or something that only old people or elder people could do or only religious people could do. Sydney is saying that for Taiwanese people who aren't religious, it can be difficult to connect to a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle. People kind of feel uncomfortable with it. And that's because a lot of ideas of vegetarianism and veganism are associated with traditional religious groups of some kind, like Buddhists or Sikhs. But here is where my trip gets a bit weird. The desire to separate vegan food and religion in Taipei doesn't come from nowhere. That concept was actually made incredibly popular by one person. One person who launched veganism into the stratosphere. The Supreme Master. Except instead of separating church and state, so to speak, instead of removing veganism from the religious world, she just created an entirely new religion along with a vegan food empire. And, you know, you might call it a cult. So picture this. A woman coated in gold jewellery, draped in silk robes, and a 24-hour broadcast of her vegan poetry, prayers and news reports, which polarises a vegan future. Here's an example of one of her poems. Once upon a time, a true peace lover wandered around the many worlds in search of eternal happiness. She walked over the face of the earth, the suns, the moons and the clouds. At last she found that it was all the while hidden in her very heart. And then she sat down and was about to enjoy the newfound bliss. But suddenly she looked down and saw countless beings were still groveling in the darkness for their searching for happiness without. Just Google the Supreme Master and you'll find it in seven different languages. Yeah, vegan, oh, man. vegan poetry. I was going to say she's not the finest of poets. <laughs> Maybe something's lost in translation. On my desktop, my computer, there is a photograph of is she there? Supreme Master. Oh, I would like to very much like to see her. My God, yes. That's quite a, a modest. So I'm seeing like... Flowing blue robes, uh, long-sleeved, down to her ankles. She's got a glowing light that has been photoshopped behind her, as though she's some sort of Catholic saint in a kind of karaoke bar of some sort. And because uh, she's incredibly smart and she can see the future, it also looks like she's carrying a face mask in her right hand. There's also <laughs> a, a kind of proportion problem where the flowers are gigantic or she's very small depending on how you look at it. She's huge. You know? <laughs> She's blocking out the sun. <laughs> Taipei, obviously, is just like also this amazing hub, which has changed so much since 1996 that like you can even imagine. And it's actually probably one of the most progressive places in the world. Like it's not just tied in with religion now. Like as Sydney was saying, you know, she's like started up her own thing, but also 
the government's putting in like meatless Mondays, like you know, as a meatless country. Meatless Mondays. <laughs> it's just another meatless, meatless Monday. Monday. Oh, oh, oh. I wish it was. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to license Where's that. Where's my fun day? <laughs> Sorry. People f- tend to think of vegans as a cult. And then in, in the history of veganism, there is a religious component built in, but from a very kind of millenary side. And it's, it's funny. I don't think people think about that too much. They think more about this kind of like current day relationship between vegans and yeah. non-vegans. Yeah. I mean, people mainly think it's just millennials complaining about the world around them. Exactly. But actually, people have been talking about this shit for generations just... They didn't, it wasn't within their spheres, so they were kind of ignoring it. But it's always kind of been there, these ideas of eating vegetarian or vegan, whatever you want, like these, it's not new. Supreme Master Xinghai doesn't really affiliate with any religion, but rather all of them. Buddhism, Christianity, Sikhism, Hinduism, and more. Her messages are of world peace and harmony a form of meditation called the Quin Yin Method. The Chinese characters Quin Yin means contemplation of the sound vibration. The method includes meditation on both the inner light and inner sound. These inner experiences have been repeatedly described in spiritual literature of all the world's religions since ancient times. She also promoted veganism. I had to know more. I messaged a food journalist in Taipei. We spoke off the record about the podcast, discussed some ideas, and agreed to an interview in the coming week. But then, at around 4am, the next morning, I started receiving a lot of messages from this journalist. Attached to the messages are links to articles. The articles were all in Chinese, but the journalist wrote one message to me in English. It read... I'm afraid I don't want anything to do with her because of the scandal and the totally negative consequences on Taiwan. After the break, Harriet goes deeper into the rabbit hole with the Supreme Master. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, Go to circatravel.com to sign up. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So this journalist from Taipei, who refused to talk to me out of some kind of fear of the Supreme Master, had sent me seven articles. They unfolded as stories about how the Supreme Master's dojo was raided in 1996 by Taiwanese authorities, that she was under investigation for money laundering, tax fraud, and possibly arson. And that arson was just hours before she fled the country. But it doesn't stop there. That same year, 1996, the Supreme Master made contributions to the US President Bill Clinton's Legal Expense Trust. 
what happened was is uh, five hundred to six hundred thousand dollars she donated to President Bill Clinton's re-election campaign in ninety-five, ninety-six. This is David Lane. He is a walking encyclopedia on religious groups. He actually wrote one. The CIA, FBI, LA Times, New York, all these different newspapers wanted to know who she was. Now, this is in the early days of the internet. So they type in the name Ching Hai in their, in their search engine, which was probably Alta Vista back then. And only one person pops up. That's me, because I had written some stuff about her uh, religious background. And so they contacted me to find out who she was because they had no idea. I called David up to ask about this bizarre donation to an American politician. Oh, I think she did it for publicity reasons, you know, to kind of, you know, get, ingratiate herself in the American press and, and also to ingratiate herself to the American audience because obviously she wanted to have some inroads in America because that's where she could get a bigger following and probably get more donations. After an investigation... The Clinton campaign realized they couldn't accept the money, so they returned it. Here's a quote from one of the few interviews that exist, where she simply said, I would have given the Americans more if they'd let me. But it turned out David knew a lot more about the Supreme Master. His research in India had led him to the Supreme Master. But while teaching philosophy in California, his students started following her, so he went deeper. The Supreme Master in the early 90s was living in California. It's just that she came to my attention when a number of my students at Mount San Antonio College, who are Asian, started following her. And they said, well, who is she? It turns out that in my research, I found out that Ching Hai was initiated by a guru named Takar Singh in Delhi, India, but had denied it because she didn't want anybody to know of her association. Initiation is acceptance into the community, meaning from that point onwards, you must agree to keep the five precepts for the rest of your life if you choose that path and follow rules like no killing, no alcohol and no smoking. Then you travel to Taiwan and receive your spiritual transmission. Why wouldn't she want anyone to know of her association with him? One is she claims that she got initiated by this 400-year-old Himalayan guru named Kudaji, which nobody's ever, nobody's ever seen, nobody's ever met, nobody's ever read about. So it gives her a sense of mystery. So in the mid-90s, Shanghai is living in the States, practicing some form of Hinduism and maybe lying about her Hindu background in order to amass a growing number of followers. Whoa, Nelly! <laughs> wow, that took a turn. <laughs> I remember when you you had the interview lined up and you got those messages. Ting, ting, and ting. Harriet was Harriet called me and she's like, "This is weird. Like, I don't know what the fuck's going yeah, on. Yeah, what's going on? Like, we're talking about veganism. I mean, I kind of turned around and expected this woman to talk to me about vegan food, and then she was like, "Don't want anything to do with her. That's it. I'm done." You started out trying to get some good vegan food recipes, and then you found yourself in the Pelican Brief or something. <laughs> Uh, Julia Roberts. And I have a really lame Denzel Washington. (laughs) I was going to say very old Really shit Denzel Washington on the other end of the phone just going, (laughs) he'll be fine, just keep going. (laughs) Don't worry. And then this was the point where I was like, how is she a cult then? And what has she done that makes people terrified, it seems like? (laughs) (laughs) Terrified and or angry. She seems so nice. Well, I mean, in that picture, she looks looks tough. (laughs) You wouldn't want to get scolded by her. (laughs) All of her imagery looks super 90s. It's all Windows paint. (laughs) 
But that doesn't make her cult leader. No, and doesn't inspire awe and fear necessarily, Windows Paint. In 1996, the landscape in Taiwan changed dramatically. March 21st, 1996. With two U.S. naval battle groups now in the South China Sea, the war of nerves intensified. 1996 was a very significant year for Taiwan, a year where the country finalized a transition to a democracy. Taiwan finally broke free, or free enough, from the Chinese government rule and held its first ever presidential election. With tomorrow's elections on their minds, the Taiwanese are in a defiant mood. Out from under the thumb of an oppressive China, but it wasn't without friction. Beijing has the capability to force Taiwan essentially to surrender. China started practicing its weaponry. Beijing has remilitarized the Taiwan Strait, taking us back to the tensions of, let's say, 1958. Firing missiles within 35 miles off the ports of Keelung and Koh Siung, causing a panic in Taiwan. This prompted President Bill Clinton to deploy a carrier into the international waters very close to Taiwan. Somewhere along the way, as Taiwan wrestled with its new identity as an independent democracy, the Supreme Master found a way back to Taipei. Jessie, our New Zealand journalist from earlier, witnessed her return. There's a, a group here led by the name of Supreme Master Ching Hai, whose teachers are sort of mix of basically applies, I would say, applies traditional Buddhist ethics to the 21st century in a way that a lot of Buddhist leaders here don't. And so she insists that her followers are vegan. I I can't say she insists. I guess she encourages her followers to go vegan. And as they follow her, they do. So the Supreme Master is cultivating a following in Taipei. And one of the rules is a vegan lifestyle. And she's becoming more and more popular. By 2007, the Supreme Master had a new entrepreneurial venture. About 10 years ago, she encouraged them to open restaurants and started the Loving Hut chain, which is the world's largest vegan restaurant chain. I still remember when the first one opened and slowly it spread around the world and became yeah, the largest vegan restaurant chain. So this is a little over 10 years ago. The Supreme Master opened the very first vegan restaurant in Taipei. She recreated classic Taiwanese dishes like hot pots, but just made them vegan. Along with that, a whole brand of fake meats similar to those from China, which were sold worldwide. If the Loving Hut sounds familiar, it's because it's now one of the most popular vegan restaurant chains in the world. There are over 150 locations. They're in Australia, England, Germany, Mongolia. There are at least 16 in California alone, and there's even three in Texas. The Supreme Master's face was plastered all over the city of Taipei. Banners, quotes of poetry, and vegan slogans for the environment. It was a metric rise, and in only five years, the Loving Heart was worldwide, and so was the Supreme Master. No one has ever managed to calculate her net worth. And from what I found out, she's bought buildings in multiple locations, in multiple different names, spending millions of dollars, and on the formation of an illegal island off the coast of Florida. 
This island was created by followers, dropping cement blocks into the sea of Biscayne Bay National Park. A local in Miami stated in an interview with The Independent, The police can't locate her. She seems to be everywhere but nowhere. In 2011, there was over 4 million in contributions made to the Los Angeles Ching Hai organization. It was all starting to sound completely insane. Just Googling the Supreme Master and you find articles like We visited the restaurant run by a cult or Human Watch, the Supreme Master. Cults explain Shanghai. You know, when we think about cults, we think of the Manson family, Heaven's Gate, Scientology and Jonestown. A charismatic leader and fanatic followers. And a narrative that usually ends in death. Here's David, the professor again. The word cult, actually, if you go to the definition of the dictionary, it simply means to focus or center or concentrate your attention around a given person or idea. I received an email from a follower. I have no idea how they managed to get my email address, but this is what it said. If you know about me, I have been initial for over 25 years, who have been through ups and downs with the group through laughter and sorrow, then let me know. Believe me, you are so lucky to be in this confused situation. It's time for you to break through to a higher level. Until then, if you're interested to know why, let me share with you my spiritual journey. I hope not to disappoint you. I have no right to share what is not true and helpful. That was amazing. The weirdest side of it is when I was trying to find out more about her, there was this whole thread of people trying to expose the Supreme Master. Mm -hmm. People were getting divorced because of her, because of people falling in love with her. They were giving up all their money because they were buying her amazing poetry and clothing (laughs) lines and jewelry. (laughs) So I was like, okay, you want to expose her? Let's expose her. Passport exposes the Supreme Master. No one. Nobody wanted to. Nobody wanted to. What is she, What hold does this woman have on people? Yeah, or it's just like people hiding behind their keyboards. I don't know. You know, as far as we're going, there doesn't seem to be the horrendous stuff you expect from a cult. It sounds more like people that change their lives but don't necessarily lose their lives in the process. It's <laughs> yeah, curious. More self-helpy than self-mattery. After going round in circles with followers, centers, and the strange side of the internet, I came back to David for an explanation. I wanted to know if he could tell me a little more about who she really was. If you're just meditating, becoming a vegan, you know, watching TV, big deal. But the closer you get to Supreme Master Ching Hai, I guarantee you the more corrupt it gets. I think for the massive, the massive amounts of people following her now, they don't know anything about her. That is, they don't know how she is personally. Have you ever met anyone or spoken to anyone that was close to her during the time you were looking into her? Yes. She has a temper. She's controlling, manipulative. Uh, she likes to play disciples off other disciples. You know, who's in the in-group, who's the out-group. She tends to pick out young men as her boyfriend and flirts with them. I don't, I don't know anything beyond that, though. Did you ever see that there was like a four-hour production on her poetry? 
Like, oh my god. Yeah, like <laughs> No, wait, 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 wait. Was this the insomnia way? If you're suffering, suffering from insomnia, how to get to sleep. That's right. Oh, my God. Yeah, there was like but, it was it was in L.A. There was a red carpet. There was people screaming. Oh, my gosh. I know I didn't hear about that. That's right. You can find a four hour musical a multi-million dollar performance based on the Supreme Master herself. You can find it on YouTube. I hate musicals, but it's kind of incredible and a room full of people applauding their own veganism. So, is the Supreme Master a cult leader? I don't know, but without talking to anyone on the inside, there was no way to really know. And just when I thought we weren't going to be able to speak to an insider, a member, this happened. That was my starting point in, it was September 1997. I was 22 years old and I was at the prime of my, my youth of enjoyment, you could say, um, doing pretty much everything that a young, young man does in those days. This is Dave Asher, a Supreme Master TV contributor and a 20-year follower. What followed in the phone call was nearly a two-hour conversation about religion and the planet's future. He's from South Africa, but he really discovered the Supreme Master in the USA. I felt so strongly about it. It resonated so strongly with me that they didn't feel like there was anything else really worthwhile um, to do or to pursue in this world anymore. He spoke of an ashram that he stayed in, a place he wanted to stay longer until his US visa ran out, a place which the Supreme Master would every now and then appear. I wanted to know more about where she was, but it seemed elusive, even to those who follow her. Mostly she's pushed, pushed around or moved around because of negative energy that uh, requires her to move, you know, or for her to be somewhere to dissolve and, and remove the negative energy at a place. I mean, her power, what she's able to do from, on a spiritual level is, is kind of not, we can't really fathom that too much. So, But the actual reason, I can't tell you. And he tells me her life has been threatened before. If someone in this world is doing their utmost to bring about positive, you know, positive change, um, there's going to be an opposing negative force um, to that. So I can't speculate as to whom, but I know that physically, visibly and invisibly, spiritually, her, her existence here on earth has been threatened multiple times and she's had to react accordingly Dave went on to tell me a story that he feels exemplifies the lengths that the mainstream industrial food complex will go to to take out its competition. I don't know if you know of a company called Just Mayo or Just. They make vegan, um, they make vegan egg now, but they started with vegan mayo. Um, and the dairy industry literally tried to have him assassinated. Yep, vegan assassination. People were caught and, and <laughs> that came out into the open. And that's just a minor, minor example of the, the establishment trying to react to what they feel threatened by. Dave is truly dedicated to the Supreme Master and passionate about veganism, but he also sees the world as an incredibly negative place. I wanted to take the conversation back to Taiwan to see if the Supreme Master was really responsible for the changing food landscape in Taipei. Whether people are aware of it or not, the influence has been huge, and not just on, on Taiwan, but um, across the world as well. I mean, just think about all the restaurants that were opened, you know, 15 plus years ago. 
there to promote veganism. I spent some time in Taiwan, in Taipei in particular, and I mean, there's there's some huge vegan restaurants there that only do vegan food and huge buffets, and I mean, it's it's phenomenal. So, yes, it certainly appears that the vegan revolution in Taiwan, the vegan capital of the world, owes a lot, for better or worse, to the supreme master. The Loving Hut was the first official vegan restaurant in Taipei. But what happened after that was an explosion of new restaurants' flavors and ideas. Taipei, which had already had an innovative food scene, took hold of this movement and really made it their own. Food can take you on a journey of its own. It can lead you down a cultural and spiritual exploration of how a city eats differently and why. Then it can take you to veganism, what it means in the city and as an individual. By following that, it can also lead you halfway around the world, talking to people about a supreme master. This story may have started with vegan food, but it's only a small part of Taipei's story. Taiwan continues to evolve as a democracy. Its press is now ranked more free than that of the United States. Taipei is a modern metropolis which thrives on new ideas and innovation with a sympathetic view towards the world, a safe place to live and a delicious place to be. When 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 I came into this hot dark booth <laughs> thinking that I was going to hear an episode about veganism in Taipei, I didn't think we were going to be in the most morally ambiguous episode of Passport yeah. to date. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The problem with all of this is that we've labeled ourselves carnivore, vegetarian, vegan, microbiotic, et cetera, et cetera. Plant-based, whatever you want to be called. And it comes back to your CrossFit joke, basically. Yeah. It's like, I am a CrossFit person. Proud of. <laughs> and how quickly can I tell you? <laughs> Hold on, stand back. Which and, is it going to be? And in the end, like, it's the era we're living in, which is we don't talk about the stuff that actually matters. We just talk about that surface stuff, the, the label. We don't actually go into the real discussion about what we should be eating, how we're eating, and what the future is going to look like. Wow. That was good. That Thanks. Was good. <laughs> this week's Save Pins show the influence of other cultures on Taipei food, cinema, and spirituality. Number one, Guangfu Loving Hut, a place where traditional Taiwanese dishes meet veganism. Also, the OG of all loving huts. Number two, an overnight trip to Jufen, part of New Taipei City. This stop is for anime fans. Its view spans over the northeast coast, wandering quaint Japanese-era streets. It's said to have inspired the spirit world of Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away. Number three, Satya Veganism a fusion of sattvic Indian and Taiwanese cuisine. Sattvic means truth in Sanskrit, and the sattvic diet means pure, clean, honest, or good. This one is for the yoga lovers. Number four, Raho Night Market. It's the oldest and most traditional market in the city. Live flame girls light these streets, a place you can find all of the food in this episode, plus meat eaters' favorites too, like pork buns, and oyster omelets. Number five, Flourish, a Japanese macrobiotic-inspired restaurant. This style is inspired by Zen Buddhism. The diet attempts to balance yin and yang. 
It's a quiet, simplistic oasis in the middle of Taipei's commercial area. Hey there, guys! The podcast awards 2020 are coming, and we'd love your vote. Head to podcastawards.com and register to nominate us, Passport Podcast, as your favorite podcast. Thank you. We love you. Next week on Passport, it's a new misinformation. This time, we're going to Iran, perhaps one of the most misunderstood countries in the world, to talk about oppression, nukes, garlic shampoo, and Persian Twitter. We'll see you then. This week's episode of Passport was written and produced by Harriet Davies and edited by Harriet Davies and myself. Huge thanks to Jesse Duffield, Sydney Shu, David Lane, and Dave Asher for helping us make this show. We'll have all their details in the show notes if you want to check them out. Our theme music is by Nick Turner, with additional stuff by Oracle, Enemy Silk Den, and Greg Conway. The show is mixed and mastered by Julian Kuzneski, Stacy Book, Dominic Ferrari, and Avi Glijanski. Are now Supreme Master followers. They also executive produce the show, which is hosted by myself and a man who eats mostly vegetables, but somehow always smells of meat <laughs> and just. Fuck. <laughs> 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 we'll see you in the next place.